0: Fantastic. Okay, let's look at our scripture as we um, continue our Advent series. We are going to be looking at the three wise men uh, today, the three wise guys. Matthew 2 1 through 12. And this is how it goes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their home country by another way. The word of the Lord. Well, there is a longing deep inside all of us. It's a longing to give ourselves to someone or to something greater than ourselves. And it manifests itself in a variety of different ways. It's the rabid sports fan who idolizes his team and whose uh, affect, whose emotions rise and fall, uh, whether they win or they lose. It's a girl who idolizes a boy or a boy who idolizes a girl and believes that all of life will be good if they just are connected to that person. It's the idolization of a product, it's that feeling that we have that if we just had that particular thing that all would be right with the world, that there would be peace and there would be harmony. You've experienced it, you've probably felt it yourself. It's belief in a political party or a political system giving all of your soul, all of your self, all of your hopes and dreams and affections to it that if those people come to power, that all will be right with the world. It's something that we can all identify with. I certainly can. And it's been placed into our hearts by God himself. We call it worship. We have a deep need to worship something, to place it on a pedestal, to give our hearts to it, to bow down to it. And great harm comes to us when we worship things that are not worthy of our hearts. In fact, what's wrong with the world is that people worship the wrong thing. What's wrong in our lives is we worship things that are not worthy of our affections, of our hearts. But there is great joy when people find the proper object of their worship. And there's only one who is worthy of our heart's worship. And that's Jesus Christ. See, this passage is all about worship. It's about these wise men who seek out and find the proper object of their affections, and Herod and the chief priests who do not. This passage should challenge us and make us ask the question, who are we seeking to worship? Because it's only Christ who will satisfy. You see, we were made to worship one thing only, and that is, Is Jesus Christ? So let us bring to Him this Christmas season our best. I'm going to look at three particular issues. Number one, who should we worship? Number two, why we should worship Him, and then finally, how we should worship Him. So let's dig in. The first, uh, the first point: Who should we worship? The passage starts out this way. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. These wise men are also called magi, from where we get the word magic. They were astrologers in the court of the king of Persia. And they combined astronomical study with astrological speculation. They were highly regarded for their uh, uh, prognostications of things that are were to come or giving uh, uh, wisdom, if you will, to the king. They were highly regarded in Persia and throughout the world. And when you think about it, they were the last people who should have been coming to worship the newborn baby Jesus. First of all, they were separated by geographic divide. They lived about 800 miles away from where Jesus was born. They were not only separated geographically, but they were separated by religion. They practiced divination, studying the stars to prognosticate the world. That actually was, uh, was uh, considered anathema in the scriptures. The Old Testament forbade it. So they were religious outsiders. They were Gentiles. They were unclean. They were not allowed into the temple. And yet we see that these wise men have come with the express purpose of worshiping Jesus. Jesus. Notice in verse 2 where it says when they speak to Herod and they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, they understand that this king has been born, but they also understand that he's no ordinary king. Notice they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? But Herod's immediate response Is to assemble all the chief priests and scribes and inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. See, they know that he is not just an ordinary earthly king, but he's the Messiah. He's the King of kings who has been born and the Lord of lords. How do they know and understand this? We don't really know. But they saw him as God's anointed king, the king over all kings. And they came prepared. We see in verse 11 that going into the house, they saw the child and they fell down and they worshipped him and they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. How were they alerted to the fact that this, uh, this Christ was to be born? There was a star that arose. They called it his star. Maybe they were familiar with Numbers twenty four seventeen, that says a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. Now, I find it fascinating that Matthew begins with a genealogy about about Jesus, and it immediately, right after that, goes into talking about these wise men, these outsiders. And in fact, Matthew ends with Matthew 28 when when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What the gospel writer is trying to communicate to us, and what I'm trying to communicate to us is that Jesus' birth affects the entire world, every single person in the world. It's Isaiah 63 that says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Jesus' purpose was to come and to shepherd the entire world. Isaiah 42 puts it this way, Behold my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the nations wait for his law. See, Jesus is the rightful king that made the world and we are all made in his image. It was Augustine who said that We are uh, made in uh, his image and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so we see Jesus being born, beginning to exert this gravitational pull on people of every tongue and tribe and nation. And the nations come to worship him. But we also see another element, that Jesus not only brings joy to those who are coming to worship him, but Jesus is troubling to the people who do not want to worship him. Notice verse 3, when Herod and the king heard this proclamation from the Magi, it says that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The word trouble means turmoil or terrified or greatly agitated. All of Jerusalem is stirred up. They're upset and They're terrified to hear this. See, there are two types of people who do not want to worship Jesus. There are those who view him as non-important. And this would be the chief priests and the teachers of the law in this story. Notice that there's this question and answer that goes on when the wise men come and they say, Where is the one born king of the Jews? And Herod assembles the wise men. And the chief priests, and and they respond, he's to be born in Bethlehem. But then, what do the wise men, excuse me, what do the chief priests and teachers of the law do? They do nothing. They go back to life as usual. You know that Bethlehem was only five miles away from Jerusalem. Shouldn't they have said, can we come with you, Magi? We want to see this child for ourselves. But they didn't do that. It just went about like nothing had happened. Now we must ask the question, didn't they see the star as well? I mean, it would have been right over their city. And the answer, it seems to indicate that they didn't see it at all. Why? Because they weren't looking. They weren't interested. They worshipped their position and a baby was not a threat to them. What a contrast to the Magi who traveled days and days and weeks and weeks to find the baby Jesus. And these people, five miles away, wouldn't take the time to simply stroll uh, down the street. There are those that regard him as non-important. And there's also those who regard him as a threat. Notice Herod, who's terrified and asks the chief priest, where is this one to be born? I find it strange that he doesn't ask the question, tell me more about who this king is to be. If he had done so, they would have read more of Micah 5 two, Because Micah 5 two tells us that Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. But it goes on, whose coming forth is from of old, of ancient days. In other words, this is no ordinary king. It's a king who's always lived. And it goes on to say, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. But Herod doesn't care about that. This passage tells us that Jesus is bigger than any earthly king, than just a king for Israel. He's king of the world. But Herod only cares about one thing, his power, his turf. And so he goes on to scheme and lie and ultimately commit murder. The the result of this passage is simple. The wise men seek and find and rejoice with great joy. But Herod and the wise men grow increasingly paranoid and frustrated. See, the wise men have found the proper object of their affection. And in the same way, all of us, and I do mean all of us, are seeking for the source of our affection. I want to give you an illustration to prove that point. I brought my nuts and bolts with me. I carry them around wherever I go, just in case I need one. Perhaps this lectern needs one. But it's very interesting because I have an assortment of different screws different bolts and different things. And often what you need is a particular bolt and then uh, uh, then you need a particular, what do you call one of these things? A nut to go alongside of it. And, and what I find is that I have to start going through and looking for different sizes for them to fit. And all too often they don't quite fit and I have to keep looking and looking until I finally find the exact one that fits perfectly. See, they were meant for one another. The object, thank you, there was clapping. I appreciate that. (laughs) They were meant for one another, you see. See, there's the worshiper, and there's the object of worship, just like the bolt and the nut, Jesus is the right object of worship for everyone. And we have a choice, like the wise men, to seek and find and rejoice and worship that we have found the proper object. Or we can be like the others in this story. That that's not important. That Jesus is not important. He certainly could not be the one that I'm looking for. Or he can't affect me. He was someone that lived back then. He's just some fable or some story. I'm going to get on with my life. And so they continue day after day pulling bolts out, trying to make them fit and never finding the proper object of worship. See, if you follow the path of the chief priests or of Herod, your life will always end in frustration and sorrow. Because worship is not an object. It's not a question of if I'll worship. It's a question of who I'll worship. And so you and I this Christmas season must acknowledge that we too are seekers. That we're seeking to find that proper object of our worship, the proper thing to put on the pedestal of our hearts, the one and only that fits. We must take the attitude Of the wise men, we must seek and look for the signs because the scriptures clearly say that if you seek, you will find. Jesus Christ came into this world to be found. They sought and they found. So refuse to be satisfied with anything less than the proper object of worship because we were made to worship one and only one thing and that's Jesus Christ. So let's bring him our best. Well, this talks about who we should worship. Now I want to talk about why we should worship him. One of the things we see in this passage is that God actually wields the universe to make his son known and worshiped. He uses the environment. He uses the planets and the stars to literally make them line up so that his son would be found. Notice how the magi are alerted to Jesus' birth. In verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is a king unlike any other king. And at the birth of Jesus, creation has responded. There have been many kings who have been born since then. Herod was called the king of the Jews and none of them have ever had a star appear in the sky to commemorate their birth. We see that this star, when it rose and had come to worship him, that the magi somehow knew. Maybe they knew verse 3, 60 verse 3, a nation shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. But I think they knew because of the astronomical phenomenon. These were people that studied The stars, they studied uh, the celestial sky. And notice they call it his star when it rose. Now, if it had just been a star that had been out there, that had positioned itself over Jerusalem, that would have been one thing. But no, this appears to be a new phenomenon, something that wasn't there before, that appeared, that made them undertake this journey and understand that this was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not just a star, it's his star. And notice how this star acts. This star functions and leads them to Jerusalem, which would have been a journey of about 40 days, of 20 miles a day if they had made that kind of time, that somehow this star rises and rests over Jerusalem itself. Now, we all see stars in the sky, right? But Would we be able to look at a star and be able to tell that that star should be over that particular city that far away? No, this star is communicating in some way, shape, or form. It's drawing them to Jerusalem. And once this star is over Jerusalem and they get there, it actually stops. See, they have to stop and they have to inquire where this this king of kings, the king of Jews, is to be born because they don't know. So they ask Herod. And Herod summons the wise men and they give the answer Bethlehem. But notice what happens next. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. And it came to rest over the place where the child was. This star goes before them, leading them exactly to the particular house where Jesus is living. They're no longer in the stable. uh, uh, Jesus was somewhere between probably one and two years of age by then. They would be living in some sort of house or some sort of abode somewhere. And it says when they saw this star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why are they rejoicing? Because the star is leading them in a direct and supernatural way. If this star was up in the sky, how would they know the specific house of all the houses to go to to find the Savior? It would be kind of like this. Birmingham, Alabama is about 800 miles away from us. So imagine that God was calling you to meet someone you had never met before, that you didn't exactly know where you were to meet them or who they were for that matter. But this star was calling you on a journey and so you would go on foot traveling 20 miles a day only being led by this particular star. And once you got into close proximity, the star would even come closer and would literally draw you to the specific house in Birmingham, Alabama that you were supposed to be at in order to meet and worship that person and know that person. What are the odds of that happening? The odds of that happening are zero without God doing a supernatural work. And keep in mind, the only reason... Why Mary and Joseph are there is because a census was called for by Caesar that moved millions of people around so that they would be in that specific town. And what are the odds that they would still stay in that particular town up to two years later so they would be there when the Magi would get there? What's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is that all of creation is pointing to the birth of the Messiah. We see this language in the Bible all the time that the trees clap for joy at the Lord and the rocks cry out. See, nothing has ever happened like this before. The reason that I and you should worship Jesus Christ is because God wants his son to be worshiped. And all of creation is leading humanity to his feet. If that happened for the wise men, surely it's happening for you and me as well. Think back over your life, how God is organizing circumstances, indeed creation, to lead you to this time right now to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. So are you fighting creation? Or are you in harmony with creation? It's very interesting how people define freedom these days. Freedom is to define who you are. And you can define who you are. That's kind of some of what's going on with gender right now. That you can be whoever you want to be. But I want to suggest to you that that's not true freedom. True freedom is living in harmony with creation imagine a fish that's living in the sea and the the fish says I want to be free I want to go on to land I want to become a land creature well that's not freedom is it freedom is living in harmony with in homeostasis with the environment that it was designed for in the same way all of creation is pointing to the king it is the most natural thing in, on human existence to recognize and worship Jesus Christ. Why should we worship Him? Because all of creation is like a giant sign that's pointing to Him. Because we were made to worship one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ. So let's bring Him our best. Brings me to my final point how we should worship. Notice these wise men, these Gentiles, these unclean Gentiles and what they do. And going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What is a good definition of worship? Worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing an authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. I'll say it again, worship, worshiping Jesus means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. Not just monetary gifts, but a variety of different gifts. These magi were the original New Testament worshipers. I wanna show you four different ways in which they worship Jesus and four ways that we can worship Jesus this Christmas season. Number one, they name him. Notice they say, where is the one who is called King of the Jews? And we know when they say King of the Jews, they're actually saying, where is the one who is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords? They're using their voice to praise him. They're putting him in his proper place in their hearts, and they're using their voice to communicate. And here's the beauty of this that like the Magi, we can do that anytime, anywhere. We can go into the comfort and quiet of our own home, and we can name him for who he is. You know, there are 12 days of Christmas left. And this Christmas, one of the gifts of worship that we can give Jesus is each day to take time giving him the name that is above all names, Worshipping him and praising him with our voices, much like the magi did. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. Let us offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So the first way they worship him is they name him. Number two, they fall before him. Keep in mind these kings are coming from the royal court of Persia. They have seen opulence and they've seen beauty. And yet, they come to this simple house or whatever it was where Mary and Joseph were living, and they fall down on their knees, these men of importance before Jesus. They use their bodies to communicate that you are great, O Lord, and we are small. You don't have to be a wise man to do that, do you? In the privacy of your home or in, in public, it doesn't matter. We can kneel before Jesus Christ. We can ascribe to him glory and honor by bowing before him, by saying that you are great and we are small and we recognize you for who you are. They named him. They used their voice to worship. They fell before him with their bodies. Number three, they rejoiced. Notice verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy they actually quadruple rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why did they rejoice when they saw this star? Well, it was because they were on their way to see the true object of their worship. Because true worship is not just describing authority and dignity to Christ, it's doing this joyfully. Because what God cares about is not simply the words that come from our mouth, but the heart that is behind them. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Has your worship gone cold for Jesus Christ this Christmas season? Use this Christmas to remember who He is, to meditate on his characteristics and his qualities. To remember what he's done by coming into the world, by living a perfect life, by dying a gruesome death on the cross and by rising again and ascending to the right hand of the Father. They rejoiced. And finally they gave sacrificial gifts. Now it's important that God, to know that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. These People were not bringing royal care packages to Jesus Christ. They were coming to worship. But these gifts were communicating tangibly on the outside what was going on on the inside of the worshiper. See, by giving these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, the magi were saying, I have not come to you for your things, but for yourself. And this desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not things. We have the opportunity this Christmas to give of ourselves sacrificial gifts to show Jesus that we care about you and we want you more than anything, not things. How can we do that? One of the sacrificial gifts that we can give is your time. There are a variety of different ways to engage in caring for others this Christmas season. But let it be a gift, a sacrifice, if you will. If you volunteer at PIN Ministries or taking time in some other ministry or caring for an individual in this church, picking up the phone, placing a phone call, giving a gift, your time is. One of the most valuable things you own. Second, your money. You have a great opportunity to bless one of those, one, uh, a person in our congregation. It's a great sacrificial gift that you can give to Jesus. Remember Jesus who said that even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, that you shall surely not use your, lose your reward. In other words, it's like you did it for me when you did it for someone else. I don't know what that looks like for you. The magi knew it was frankincense and gold and myrrh. Might be something different for you. But here are four different ways that we can respond in worship with our voices, with our bodies, with our hearts, and with our hands and our money, our time, our checkbook. Well, I need to wrap up here. This story was all about worship. The wise men, they saw the star and they responded. Herod and the, uh, and the chief priests and the teachers, they disregarded or they regarded as a threat and they were the ones that missed out. I don't want any of us to miss out on the opportunity to encounter the living Christ this Christmas. So look for his star all of creation points. Seek, get up, move, take a risk, if you will, to find and seek Jesus Christ. For everyone who seeks, find. Everyone who asks, receives. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We were made to worship one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season... Let's bring him our best, for he deserves it. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for this passage, for it helps us to see the inexorable gravitational pull that Jesus Christ has on the world. And right now, billions fall before him and worship him. God, we pray that we would have the attitude of the Magi, that we would see his star in the heavens, all of creation that is pointing to him, and that we would seek him with all of our lives, and that we would take everything that we are and everything that we own, and we would present it to him. For Jesus, you are worthy of all that we have, and what you want is not our stuff, but our heart's which are behind our stuff. We thank you, Lord, that you are found by those who seek you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.